<clears throat> All right. For this evening, we'll be studying Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 3 to 7. <clears throat> and before we read, um, just to review where we're at <clears throat> in, in the book of Habakkuk, we are now in chapter 3, which in verse 1 tells us that this is a prayer of Habakkuk in a um, poetic type form. Uh, and we, in the previous chapters, we've studied Habakkuk's um, writings of God's judgment on Israel using Babylon, then Babylon's destruction for their own sins. Um, and this is the context in which we read this. <clears throat> in addition, not only um, what we've studied with Habakkuk um, and his words in the immediate consequences, but also in what he's implying with um, these different phrases that the, uh, the apostles used to prove um, Christ, Christ in the Old Testament, that Habakkuk not only has the present circumstances in mind, but he, also, he is also looking towards the future to Christ, not only his first coming, but his second coming, and he, that is what he has faith in. So as we uh, read this uh, paragraph, let us keep that in mind. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 3. God comes from Timon and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covers the heavens and the earth is full of his praise. His radiance is like the sunlight. He has rays flashing from his hand and there is the hiding of his power. Before him goes pestilence and plague comes after him. He stood and surveyed the earth. He looked and startled the nations. Yes, the perpetual mountains were shattered. The ancient hills collapsed. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Kishon under distress. The tent curtains of the land of Midian were trembling. <clears throat> so to begin in verse 3, um, Habakkuk is referencing these places of Taman and this um, Mount Paran. Now these are references <clears throat> to the land of Edom and specifically to Mount Sinai in Edom. That, this is in the way that Habakkuk is saying God comes from these places and that he's calling our attention and he's calling us to remember how God was on Mount Sinai and how he was when he delivered the Ten Commandments. <clears throat> For evidence uh, of this fact, we'll first turn to Jeremiah chapter 49. <clears throat> These cross-references cross references will be used to um, explain or give further evidence that these places of Teman and um, Mount Paran are, in fact, from Edom. Uh, Jeremiah 49, verse 7. Concerning Edom, thus says the Lord of hosts, Is there no longer any wisdom in Teman? Has good counsel been lost to the prudent? Has their wisdom decayed? So in this uh, chapter, as Jeremiah begins to <clears throat> rebuke or prophesy against Edom, um, 
one of the uh, other names that he uses to explain Edom as Taman, as we have in our passage. And then for Mount Paran, we'll turn to Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 2. That is Deuteronomy 33, verse 2. He said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned on them from Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran, and he came from the midst of ten thousand holy ones. At his right hand, there was flashing lightning for them. So here it specifically says the Lord came from Sinai. And then again, to reiterate the same point in a poetic way, he, he says the same place with a different name. He shone forth from Mount Paran. So now that we've established Mount Sinai, Mount Paran, Teman, all alluding to and reminding us of, God from the um, from Mount Sinai delivering the commandments in His power, in His holy power. So we'll stay here in Deuteronomy thirty-three two. Um, at the end of that verse, he he says, "At His right hand there was flashing lightning for for them." <clears throat> so if we return back to Habakkuk, he speaks of this same. Um, power and light as he uh, starts to explain um, God and his power. So let's, um, let's continue reading with this uh, now backdrop set of Mount Sinai, uh, beginning in the middle of verse 3. His splendor covers the heavens, and the earth is full of his praise. So here, uh, Habakkuk is starting with the, the greatness of God, how God fills the earth, how every man will um, praise God um, eventually. So some general examples of how God covers the earth and how his splendor will be shown. Um, we'll turn to Psalm 48, verse 10. Psalm 48, verse 10. As is your name, O God, so is your praise to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is full of righteousness. So here the David is writing this psalm and, and is explaining that God encompasses the earth. We may not see it now, but he is, um, through his righteousness, your praise is to the ends of the earth, that the whole world um, is of God and um, God knows um, all, all areas of the earth. Uh, an additional scripture reference to explain 
um, generally how God is and his splendor is over the earth um, is in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. Isaiah 6, 1. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his faith, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So the one who knows God and is seeing God, he understands that God is holy and that the earth is his dominion. This is the glory of God that it is shown throughout the earth. And this is generally true. We understand this um, as believers and as we will see it realized more so in the life to come. But in both cases, in both references, both in Psalm 48 and Isaiah 6, God's holiness and God's righteousness is um, coupled with his glory being spread to all the earth. And we have examples of this. One, we're, we're studying Mount Sinai. Right? This is what the Habakkuk, the prophet, has called to mind as he referenced in the first half of verse 3. Um, so one example of how this actually happens is in Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2, verses 8 to 10, and we're reading of Rahab. Joshua 2, 8. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you When you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. So here, Rahab is giving glory to God. The God of the Bible, his gospel is being spread by this examination of God's righteousness and his holiness in these events of bringing Israel out of the land of Egypt. And this is truly how, this, how God's splendor is spread throughout the whole earth. Uh, a New Testament <clears throat> reference for this concept will turn to Romans 9. Romans chapter 9, verse 17. <clears throat> for the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. 
So here Paul is using, again, this example of God and his mighty power being shown to the whole earth by bringing Israel out of Egypt. And these events that are written here, just like Habakkuk, the time of Mount Sinai is previous to Habakkuk, but it, it reminds us of the holiness of God and the righteousness of God. And that is how his name is proclaimed through the whole earth. It's through these kinds of examples of power. <clears throat> and um, we'll turn back to Habakkuk uh, chapter 4, and we'll continue to uh, study these different examples on how God's glory, how his splendor, how his praise is spread to all the earth through displays of his mighty power. So Hab- turning back to Habakkuk, Chapter 3, verse 4. His radiance is like the sunlight. He has rays flashing from his hand. And there is the hiding of his power. So again, um, when we read Deuteronomy um, 33.2, it spoke of the lightning of God's hands coming from Mount Paran being Mount Sinai. And... In his coming down to deliver the Ten Commandments, that is one way in which he showed his power, his mighty power, being having this light radiating from him. So this light, we see this now, we see it in Deuteronomy, we see Habakkuk reference it here, but his radiance being like the sunlight, we look to the future for this being fulfilled in a whole and final sense in Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21 verses 23 to 25. Oh, let's start at 22. Revelation chapter 21, verse 22. I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nation will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime, for there will be no night there, its gates will never be closed. So this, we know, is the lamp. The lamp is the lamb. It is the light. So just as, just as um, in on Mount Sinai, Christ showed his power through his radiance and his light, which proceeded from him. Here, he is taking the place of the sun. There is no need of the sun because of this lamp that is Christ. As it says in 23, lamp is the lamb. So just as we have the example on Mount Sinai, Habakkuk is referencing the same light, that his radiance is um, an example of that power, that power of Christ, that he is the light, the only light that we need in the life to come. In the new heavens and the new earth, Christ is that light. And his, um, 
Yes, Christ is also the light of the world. Uh, but in this sense, he is, he is the only light. And that, that's what we need to understand, that as these prophets reference Christ being the light, it is no different than um, the New Testament references when Christ proclaims it himself, that these prophets understood that this light is Christ. Returning to Habakkuk, chapter 4, the final phrase of, or excuse me, chapter 3, verse 4, the final phrase of that verse, and there is the hiding of his power, is describing that we don't see that from Christ at this moment, but the power, that is where his power is, will come from. When we see that light coming from Christ, there will be a time, there will be um, the time for that, but right now it is hidden. But Habakkuk is preparing us to see this light, understanding that um, it is hidden right now. But once it comes forth, there'll be no denying it when we see that light as bright as the sun. Let's continue in verses 5 and 6 and uh, continue to look at example of God's power um, to bring glory to himself. Verses 5 and 6 in Habakkuk chapter 3. Before him goes pestilence and plague comes after him. He stood and surveyed the earth. He looked and startled the nations. Yes, the perpetual mountains were shattered. The ancient hills collapsed. His ways are everlasting. So let's go here um, line by line and look at ways in which him, God, is all these things or brings about all these things. So we'll start with um, the example in verse 5, pestilence and plague. We'll begin in Exodus chapter 9. Exodus chapter 9, verses 13 to 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you and your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For if by now I had put forth my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, you would then have been cut off from the earth. As God is speaking to Moses, he's explaining to him that he needs to go to Pharaoh and tell him that God is bringing, God is doing this, the plagues and the pestilence. It says in verse 14, plague and pestilence in 15. But why would he do that? Why is he bringing about these um, calamities for these people? It says it in verse 14 at the end of the verse that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. So this is the example that God is giving us to show his power and his holiness that Wickedness will not be tolerated in the land. 
and it, we've already referenced, these are the, um, we've referenced with Rahab that these are the power and examples that caused Rahab to repent. This is what brings true glory to God. Continuing um, in our examples, the next example that Habakkuk gave was uh, surveying and startling the nations. We'll go to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14, verses 23 to 25. Then the Egyptians took up the pursuit, and all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen went in after them into the midst of the sea. At the morning watch, the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve, and he made them drive with difficulty. So the Egyptians said, let us flee from Israel, for the Lord is fighting for them against the Egyptians. So here is an example of how God is looking down. He surveys the earth. He is, this surveying is an indicator of God's being in heaven. God being in heaven and we're on earth. He's surveying, he's looking out, he can see all things. And then he has control over the nations. He startles the nations. He takes Egypt and throws them into confusion. <clears throat> As it says in at the end of verse 24. That God is doing these things. And again. The deliverance of Israel. The miraculous deliverance from Egyptians. Is an example of showing God's power to the people. And these are the kinds of things. Again that Habakkuk has in mind. He's drawing our attention to all these examples. Um, continuing in the uh, examples given by Habakkuk, we'll turn to Psalm 68.8 to look at how God um, moves uh, mountains, hills, and the uh, elements of the earth. Psalm 68 verse 8 is our reference. The earth quaked, the heavens also dropped rain at the presence of God. Sinai itself quaked at the presence of God, the God of Israel. So again, we have David, he references Mount Sinai. This example for us to show and um, exhibit how God is holy, how God is righteous. This is when God came down to the earth. That Sinai itself, the mountain, quaked before God. That there, There's nothing that can cause a mountain to quake that is man-made that um, we know of other than God. He is the only thing that can move mountains. Another example of a righteous man um, using this as an example of God's power is in Job. We'll turn to uh, Job chapter 9 verses 1 to 6. Job chapter 9, verse 1. <clears throat> then Job answered, In truth I know that this is so, 
But how can a man be in the right before God? If one wished to dispute with him, he could not answer him once in a thousand times. Wise in heart and mighty in strength, who has defiled him without harm? It is God who removes the mountains. They know not how, when he overturns them in his anger. Who shakes the earth out of its place, and its pillars tremble. (coughs) So here Job, as he's talking of the righteousness of God, how man is less than God, how man cannot ever talk back to God. His example or his um, evidence of why this is the case is because God removes the mountains. He overturns them. He shakes the earth out of its place. This is God, again, showing his power and his ability to destroy, create, and his ultimate authority on the earth. And by implication, authority over man. Then the final um, example that Habakkuk gives in verse 6 is that God is everlasting. That God being eternal in and of itself is the reason to worship. And we'll turn to Psalm 90 verse 2. Psalm 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So this is, again, um, the psalm is referencing mountains again and the earth and the very fact that God has control over these things. But even before those things were, God was. And that is another reason or another display of God's power because there is nothing else that is eternal other than God Himself. So let's return to Habakkuk having um, studied these examples. Um, We'll look at one more in verse 7. So Habakkuk 3 7. I saw the tents of Kishon under distress. The tent curtains of the land of Midian were trembling. So now um, Habakkuk is bringing up another example. This is the land of Kishon or Midian, which would be referencing um, the people of the Ethiopian uh, area. area. Um, And this uh, reference of how God destroyed The Midians, or here he describes it as um, the tent curtains of the land of Midian were trembling. We find a a historical example of this in Judges. Judges chapter 7. Judges chapter 7 verses 1 to 8. Then Jeru Baal, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and camped beside the spring of Harad. And the camp of Midian was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. 
The Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give Midian into their hands. For Israel would become boastful, saying, My own power has delivered me. Now therefore, come, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is afraid and trembling, let him return and depart from Mount Gilead. So 22,000 people returned, but 10,000 remained. Then the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Therefore it shall be that he of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, he shall go with you. But every one of whom I say to you, This one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, You shall separate everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, as well as everyone who kneels to drink. Now the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was three hundred men. But all the rest of the people kneeled to drink water. The Lord said to Gideon, I will deliver you with the three hundred men who lapped and will give the Midianites into your hands. So let all the other people go, each man to his home. So the three hundred men took the people's provisions and their trumpets into their hand. And Gideon sent all the other men of Israel, each to his tent, but retained the three hundred men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. So here God is separating the men out to again show his glory. And this is uh, a reference that Habakkuk could be making when he's talking about the Midianites here in verse 7. Of how God wanted to make sure that the people knew it was not themselves that have delivered them, but it's God alone who delivers in war. And so he takes... Um, 32,000 men down to 300 to bring that fact to our attention. So as we return to Habakkuk, we've, we've seen many examples of how um, God historically has done these things. Um, the references that Habakkuk uh, would be uh, pointing to, that being Mount Sinai, um, the plagues and pestilence of Egypt, the deliverance of the people of Israel from Egypt, all these things are being alluded to. But why is Habakkuk bringing these to our attention? We're talking about Israel being punished. We're talking about Babylon being punished. What does this have in context of the rest of the book, of his writings? And so... We know we've already studied that Habakkuk has his eyes on the future. He has his eyes on Christ. He has the mind of a true believer in having faith in Christ. And to put these verses in context of the rest of the book, that's the only way that it makes any sense. If he, Why would he be calling all these historic events to mind if all he had faith in was his present circumstances. Additionally, we know that in verse 6, some further examples, the perpetual mountains were shattered, the ancient hills collapsed. Habakkuk hasn't seen this. This isn't something that has taken place yet in the destruction of the old earth and the establishment of the new heavens and the new earth. But what, what else would that be? The perpetual mountains shattered. 
So this, of course, is how we should look at all Scripture, knowing the mind that the prophets had and the mind the apostles had to interpret the Scriptures the same way. We have some evidence to think this way. We'll begin in Jude 7. Jude verse 7. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. The Jude tells us that these things are written, the Sodom and Gomorrah are an example, just as Mount Sinai is an example, just as the deliverance of the people of Israel is an example. The punishment on one side and the deliverance on the other side. This is how we should always be looking at Scripture to understand and to have faith in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. That There are two options. There is judgment and then there is salvation in Christ. And um, some further examples of this, we'll turn to Luke. Luke chapter 13. Luke 13, verses 1 to 5. Now on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So here Christ is telling us. He's referring to these examples in the past that these punishments are examples to cause us to repent. Not to throw them out or treat them as fables, but they are written for our repentance. And he is admonishing and rebuking the people, asking them, do you think you're any different than these people? Do you think you have any more holiness to you than these people? The answer is no, but they must have repentance. That's the only escape from this punishment. Further in Luke chapter 17, we have an additional example. Luke chapter 17, we'll read verses 26 to 30. Luke 17, 26. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same as happened 
in the day of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. Again, Christ telling us, giving, the, giving us these examples. He calls on Noah, he calls on Lot, and he calls on our day, the day to come when the, the, <clears throat> he says the Son of Man is revealed. That it will be just like this. This is an example for us of what is going to happen that we must have faith in. And that's why Habakkuk is calling these examples to mind to us. Because again, he has his faith set on the future. And this is evidence of it. The fact that he's calling evident, or examples of the past to our attention is evidence that he believes in what is to come. Because they are all examples of the day of judgment. And that we must have faith in them. Christ doesn't say throughout the Old Testament it doesn't matter anymore. He's using it as an example that this is how it was back then, this is how it is today, and this is how it will be on the final day. So let us have faith in these things just like the prophets did, just like Christ is teaching us, just as the apostles have interpreted, that all these examples are examples for us today and that with repentance... And faith in Christ, there is deliverance, but without it, there is judgment. Amen.